0: Dear God, I thank you for today. Lord, we're grateful for each person here. We know that you have something for them. A word of comfort, encouragement, challenge, a conviction. And I just pray that we would walk with you into a life where we thrive and flourish and bring you honor. Lord, this is our desire. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, uh, you know, I, I talked to the visual aid department here at Journey, which is basically me and a dry erase marker. So that's what's going on over here. And so hopefully you could read that. If you can't, I'm going to kind of walk us through it so uh, you'll be able to to, to see it um, or at least hear it. So. All right. So I think you've probably been following in the news the hurricane down in Florida that has caused so much damage and and taken many lives. The article I read said 85 lives and another one said more than that. Um, One estimate I saw said at least 66 billion dollars in damage uh, as it flooded cities and, and wiped out homes and buildings. And so a storm has a devastating impact. And in our culture, and it's not that it's a new thing, but in our culture we are experiencing some of the devastation Of a storm around the issues of gender and sexuality. And so I want to look at that today. I want us to uh, help you to think about this from a biblical perspective. And like I said, I'm happy to have you join that discussion after the service, or you can catch me in the the lobby if you have questions. Um, So in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says this He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some translations say an abundant life, which is kind of what we're hoping for, a life where we flourish, where we thrive, where we're healthy. That's what God wants for us. But the enemy, Satan, this fallen angel um, and his followers, wants to steal and kill and destroy, wants to damage our lives and give us a life of less than. And we want to experience the fullness of what God desires for us. Now, as we think about gender and sexuality, we want to go back to the beginning. We want to go back to the design. God is the creator, and he gave us these remarkable gifts at creation. Now, this is not every gift, but some basic gifts that he gives us at creation are life. I mean, he gives us the breath of life. And yet, humanity as people who rebel against God, we have a tendency to mar any gift God gives us. And so, I mean, we're talking about gender and sexuality Um, because humans have mishandled sexuality. We even have seen in this country 63 million babies uh, killed by abortion because even though we're given this gift of life, we have turned and said, no, we don't want that always. And so we're given this remarkable gift of life. We're given this gift of gender. I hope you appreciate this particular gift. It's, it is a um, pretty amazing gift, and um, given the gift of marriage and you know sexuality within that, um, and we're given the gift of responsibility to go and, and to populate the earth. So I want to look back at the origins. This is what Jesus does when he talks about these subjects. Let's talk about gifts of creation. Watch for some of these. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. It's our starting passage, really. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God has formed out of the ground and all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now this Phrase this this word here, the Helper. Uh, this this word is actually used for God in different places in the Scripture as well. So this is not a demeaning phrase. Sometimes I see people who are against women use it as a demeaning phrase. It's not. Um, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So we see these gifts that are given. First is life. I'm not going to unpack a lot there. Second is Gender. Um, Jesus affirms in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he said, when he's asked about, um, he said, um, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He made two genders. Uh, Despite what our culture would teach, despite, like if you go to Facebook and you check out genders, you're going to see that besides the two, uh, male and female, there's 56 gender options. And, you know, I try to be nice about things, but it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And so um, we need to understand that every person is made in the image of God, is valuable, is precious, and this gift of gender is an amazing gift. Now, Adam and Eve sinned, and we all join them. And so the Bible talks about the fall, and within the fall, there is this brokenness in creation, this brokenness in the planet. And so we do see birth defects. We do see uh, sin and death and disease and all this sort of thing. So there are people that are born, and the label is intersex, where um, the gender is not clear. And so there are a few, a small percentage, where you have this, and you have to kind of work through that. That's not what we're dealing with today, uh, with the whole transgender idea. So gender is a precious gift from God. Life, gender, also sex and marriage. Um, There is... This unique relationship that is given to us called marriage, it's different than just friendship. It's different than lots of other relationships. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is a physical union, the sexual act. This is a spiritual union. This is an emotional attachment that happens, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's an intimacy there. This is a beautiful gift from God. Uh, sex and sexuality is God's idea and it's his gift to us. And it's, so it's something that we should um, be excited about. It is a sacred pleasure that's given to a husband and a wife. Now, marriage, you know, we all taint it a bit because we're all sinners. There's a selfishness in us. And you know, I'll be honest, I got married at 24 and marriage is harder than I thought it would be. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it's, it's harder than I thought. Um, just to give you an example, this morning, anytime I talk about anything controversial, my wife will be like, oh no, here we go. And so this morning afterwards, after the first service, she's like, well, it wasn't horrifying. So that's her endorsement <laughs> this morning. This message wasn't horrifying. So that's good. Um, but out of the... Challenges of marriage. I look at my life in particular and I think of some of the great gifts that have come. Um, I love Alaska. I don't think I would have ended up in Alaska had I not married my wife who was from here. Um, We have our five children. We now have a a grandchild we'll meet someday in heaven. We have a grandchild that lives down in Washington state that we get to see a few times a year uh, our son and, and his wife. And we have a grandchild, our daughter and her husband, a grandchild coming on the way. And those are one of the great gifts of life. If I had not married, uh, we would not have those incredible things. Uh, This congregation came out of our marriage and uh, the calling that we had together. And so marriage is this incredible gift that we can be given. We also have the gift of responsibility and mission. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we're told to have children and spread over the earth. And mankind has done a great job with that. And then, you know, we take the gospel as well as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're given these gifts, but the way as far as our sexuality to walk into the abundant life, the life that flourishes, the life that is healthy, we're given two primary ways. This highway of holiness is, has two lanes. It doesn't have 50 lanes, it has two lanes. One is celibate singleness or chastity, um, and the other is marriage. And so these are these, are these kind of lanes of holiness. Now, when I think about sexuality, I think of fire. I think it's a good image. Uh, when I look at a bonfire or a campfire, I, I love it. There's a beauty to it. There's warmth from it. You know, fires are in our furnace. And, and when fire is within its boundaries, it is beneficial and beautiful and wonderful. When fire jumps out of the boundaries, that's when you get a mess. Here in Alaska, when a campfire gets away from the camp, we can see thousands of acres burned down. So fire, like sexuality, has that kind of potential. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. The apostle Paul writes this. Flee from sexual immorality. So see, there's a danger to it. It's a beautiful gift, but there is danger to it. It has to be handled responsibly. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own, you were bought at a price; therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so, there can be danger to this precious gift that we're given. But if it is within the parameters, if it's within you know the lanes, then it's this amazing thing. See, churches and Christians sometimes get this reputation that we're anti-sex. We are not anti-sex at all. Um, we're pro-sex. It's God's idea. We love it. We're for it. Thumbs up. Way to go, God. Um, We just want it in the confines where it's beneficial and it's a blessing. And so this biblical um, picture of sexuality. So let's talk a little bit about the celibate singleness or chastity and singleness. Now, this is Jesus talking, Matthew 19, verse 10 through 12. He, he was talking about divorce and they react. And so then he says this, the disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. So that's the reaction. He gave some kind of hard words about divorce. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. So there's some people that can't have children. And there are eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by others. For instance, in ancient times, if you know, you're know you captured by a king, you're made a servant, and you work in the harem, they will make it so they think you're less likely to cheat with one of the wives. Um, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept this should accept it. So there are some people that are called to singleness. And that is a beautiful thing. I remind you that we follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the, the person who lived the, the best life ever, and he was single. Singleness is what fit with his mission. I remind you that the Apostle Paul talks about the advantages of singleness. Um, well, let's say you're called to a missionary, be a missionary in a very dangerous setting. You're, you're much more likely to take that call if you're, say, it's a, a man by himself, or even a woman by herself, maybe, than if it's, you have all these children. You know, you're married and have children. And so it is important that we um, think about this. I, I did chuckle. I'm not a great speller. And um, celibate, I spelled wrong, okay? This is spelled correct now. But I Googled it, and I laughed because it didn't recognize my version of celibate. And it kept putting up the word, it was like, how do you spell celibate? And it kept putting up the word celebration, which I, or celebrate. And I think we make a mistake in the church when we just always lift up marriage and never lift up singleness. Singleness can be a precious and beautiful gift from God. It really can be. And there are opportunities with that. There are freedoms in that. And so um, there are people that, you know, they're like, thank you, Lord. And they they go that life. Um, Now they're to walk in holiness in it, but that's an important thing. And so that is one of the lanes that can be done. Daniel in the Old Testament was most likely a eunuch because of his position in um, Nebuchadnezzar's court, uh, but he was an incredible example of a single person who lived for the Lord. And so, um, singleness can be beneficial. I'm going to wow. date myself in this, and um, but I I I loved the show, the Andy Griffith Show. I don't know how many of you remember that, but the Andy Griffith Show. I had somebody say to me one time, and I. I I'm amused by it. They said, "Have you noticed everybody's really happy on the Andy Griffith show?" And I said, "Yeah, they really are. It's one of the reasons I like the show." And they said, "Do you know why?" And I said, "No." And and he goes, "They're all single." And I thought that was funny. And he goes, he said, "Well, there is one married guy, but that's Otis the town drunk <laughs> if you remember the show." So, I thought that was kind of amusing. But there are advantages to singleness. And we should celebrate it. It is a unique gift and calling from God. Now, most of us do marry, but certainly not everybody. So that's something to consider. Then there's marriage. We're called to faithfulness in marriage. That's the other lane. That's what we're supposed to walk out. Now, one of the things I want you to understand here is that marriage really, um, it really is this precious gift from God. Um, God looks at Adam and says, you know, we really need to give you somebody to be with. And so gives him this delightful companion. He's excited. And and so you see the Bible really does value marriage. Um, It values singleness, but it also values marriage. And so the Bible begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding, Jesus and his bride, the church. And so there's this image of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so marriage is this prominent theme in Scripture that is valued by Scripture and one of the lanes to walk out a holy life as far as our gender and sexuality. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 9, Jesus says this. And Jesus, when talking about marriage or any of these issues, he always likes to go back to, the, to kind of the purpose statement, kind of the, the beginnings, the foundations. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, so Jesus is speaking, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, notice two genders, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there's this beautiful union that happens. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together Let no one separate. Notice the permanence. This is a covenant. This is a commitment. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality can also be translated marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And so marriage is this, this precious gift, and we're to walk in faithfulness in that marriage. Notice it's a complementary union. It's a man and a woman. Notice the oneness, notice the intimacy, and notice the permanence that God doesn't want it separated. Uh, divorce is forbidden, and, except under certain circumstances. And so we are, guard, we are called to guard this beautiful covenant of marriage. Now, one illustration from chemistry that Russell Moore shares that I appreciate, he says, look, water, if you get down to the formula of it, is H2O, and that's what water is. If you take one of those out, it's not water anymore. If you add something else into the H2O, it's not water, and so In our culture, for instance, and this came from the Supreme Court, but it's been pushed for a long time. um, If you take two men or two women and you call it marriage, it's not marriage. That is fiction. It is something, it's a relationship, but it's not marriage. Just like water, if you change it, by definition, is no longer water. So we need to understand that. Um, If a man lives with a woman, And they're having sex, even having children. That is not marriage unless they actually make the commitment, that permanent covenant commitment. That is absolutely vital. And so we see that marriage is this lane of holiness and we're to walk this out. And it's an incredible blessing from God. Now, as we go down the the highway of holiness in this area of life, um, we see all these detours. And I don't know how well you can read those from a distance. Hopefully you can. And I view these detours as all faces of lust, basically. Okay? Um, lust is, it's basically desire that's misdirected. It's desire that, um, it's misdirected appetite or desire. It moves in a selfish destructive kind of way and so you see all these detours you're going down the highway and there's all these exit signs and you can go out and they won't tell you this but it's lust these are the different faces in one way or another and we'll walk through them what the actual exit sign says what our culture puts up as the sign is the word happiness that's why i have it right there we're inviting you to happiness take the detour off the highway of holiness, and you'll find happiness. That's why people go for it, because we want to be happy. And they don't think about the consequences so often. So, um, can't help but think of, you probably read or watched the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. It's a classic. A scene I think of was the white witch meets with one of the boys, Edmund, and she gives him Turkish delight, this remarkable food, and she has enchanted it. And Turkish delight, if you have some, you want more and more and more. As a matter of fact, you will eat so much, you will die if they let you. So she, she just gives him a little, and now she's got her hooks in him, and she's going to get him to come back. And so these damaging detours are kind of like Turkish delight. They're, they're good in the beginning in the sense of it's pleasurable, Not that they're good, but it's pleasurable. There's a pleasure to it. There's a reward to it, or we wouldn't take the exit, right? So let's look at it quickly. First one is porn. I'm 52 years old. I will tell you I am shocked at what, you know, is just on regular television. What's on billboards, you walk through stores, I'm I'm just amazed in a very negative way. Um, we are a culture that has, in many ways, been taken over by porn. Um, think about our vocabulary. A word that was not in our vocabulary not too long ago sexting. Almost all of you know what that means. Sending provocative images through the phone. And many people do this, many young people. It's brought down politicians, this kind of thing. Um, internet pornography is the most powerful economic engine in the World Wide Web. It's a huge deal. Something that might surprise about 30% of porn users are women. We think of this as purely a men's problem. It's not purely a men's problem. Uh, Women tend to approach it a little differently. But notice what Jesus says, and he gets to the heart of porn. It's just an expression, it's that first detour. And he says this, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now when you look at this, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. I think a verse like this reminds us that we're all sinful, that we're all broken. Particularly when I chat with men, if men are having a little trouble seeing their sin problem, I'm like, well, I, I got a verse for you, let's look at this one. You're really going to look me in the eye and tell me you've never lusted? Really? Notice how radical Jesus is about this. Now, I don't think he's literally saying gouge out your eye. I think he's saying take dramatic action. So if pornography is your issue, add a filter. If pornography is your issue, put the computer, you know, in the public spot in your house where others can see what you're on. If pornography is an issue, you may have to get rid of the Internet altogether. You meant to have an old flip phone that just texts and calls people. There's a radical idea for the phone, right? And so, porn is one way we can get off of the highway of holiness. And it promises us so much, and it delivers so little. I have good friends that have lost their jobs over porn, lost their marriages over porn, It promises the world and delivers nothing. It leads to brokenness. Every one of these detours leads to brokenness in one way, shape, or form. Interesting to me, my wife is a therapist, and she's always like, oh, you should listen to this podcast, that podcast. And and so I listened to one the other day, it was this Christian therapist. I thought this was interesting because my view of pornography was just, well, it's pleasurable. You know, you get to see a woman without her clothes on, a click of a button. And, but it can be a lot deeper than that, a lot more than that. And this Christian therapist said, he goes, I, with my clients, he goes, I try to listen to the lust. And he said, you know, I I say, unpack it for me. What are you looking for? What do you, what do you Google? What do you search for? And he said this, and I thought this was intriguing. He said, you know, most are men that come to him about this particular issue. And he said, pornography, you know, it does not treat women well. It treats them as objects. And there's a whole strand of it, apparently, that's very violent. And so he'll say, he'll kind of listen to them, and he'll say, so... Who's the woman in your life that you're angry at? I thought that was fascinating. And often, that can be one of the keys that helps walk this person out of this sinful habit. Helping them understand it's not just pleasure in that case. It's dealing with anger. In surveys of men, the top two sins that are usually at the top of the surveys are anger and lust. So, we have a little partnership here. So, something to think about. So, we've got porn. So, that's the mental part. We've got fornication. That's sex outside of marriage. So, actual sexual intercourse. Um, the Apostle Paul says this 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15 and 16. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So the culture teaches us that sex is just this purely pleasurable bodily function. It is that... It is way more than that. It has a spiritual dimension. It has an attachment, emotional dimension. It it has so much wrapped up in it. And so particularly when we see teenagers, young people, or anyone, and you connect in this way, you experience oneness in this way, when you break up with that person, it has the feeling of divorce because you are ripping apart something that God wanted to put together. It is this glue he has designed for married couples. And so this is very dangerous. It's very painful. And you can do the social science research if you practice chastity, if you practice purity, um, your marriage has a much better chance of making it. Third detour, adultery. Here you're actually in marriage and we look at some of our Great heroes of the faith, and we see some of the struggles with this. Abraham had a sexual relationship with a servant girl who his wife suggested that they do that in order to have a child. King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, and in many ways he was, had multiple wives, which is adultery, and was famous for the story of David and Bathsheba. We see King Solomon, who basically ran the playboy mansion of the Old Testament with his hundreds of wives and concubines. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, one of the big ten, the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. See. One of these detours leads to a form of brokenness. If you commit adultery, it absolutely dynamites the foundation of trust in your marriage. It just does. Can you survive it? God can do anything, God can redeem anything. But I'm telling you, you have dynamited that foundation of trust. So what's another detour we can take? Divorce. You see my wife, why my wife was worried? Here we go. We just keep going. Divorce. This is a misdirected, often, desire for freedom. Um, you know, this isn't quite what I signed up for. I thought this person was better than they are. Um, you know, what is dating? Dating is putting on your best face, Right? Marriage is a whole new ball game, And it's beautiful. And it's an incredible gift from God. But you see all the good, all the bad, all the ugly. You see the off days. Divorce is often a piece of it is coveting. You know, maybe somebody else's spouse or there's got to be somebody better than this person I've committed to. And so it is really crucial that we as Christians... Walk out marriages and hang in there when it's tough and when it's difficult. I was encouraged. I was reading a, it's a book called Restoring All Things by Warren Cole Smith. And he talks about digging into the research. And if you dig into the research, um, you know, because Barna had had some things about that Christians and non-Christians divorce at about the same rates. They dug into it and it's like, okay, just because somebody on a survey says they're Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean they're Christian. And so they started looking at worldview. They started asking questions about their worldview, about their habits, about how they walk this stuff out. And so where he came, where he landed was committed Christians, people who actually walk this out, make an attempt to live this life of following Jesus Christ. Their marriages succeed at over 80% of the time. There's a fundamental difference than with the society. And one of the best things we can do if you wanna see that a a stick is crooked is you put a straight stick next to it. That's what Dwight L. Moody once said. And so Christians, we have, we need to live out marriages marked by authenticity and intimacy and sacrifice and grace and truth-telling. And we can be salt and light in a culture of divorce. Another way we can exit the highway of holiness is LGBTQ. And they're always adding letters. There's other ones. Um, These sins are very hard to talk to people about. Why would that be? Because some of these others, when we look at sins in our lives, we don't take that sin and make it our identity. But in this particular case, in this particular detour, they take something that is a sinful lifestyle or choice and they put it front and center. It is who I am. And you will celebrate it. And if you balk at that, then it's very hurtful. Words like hateful. And so it's very hard to have these conversations and to talk this through. we'll get to where we go with that, but this is challenging. And this lane, while was just a little trickle, you know, at 52, 30 years ago, it's like everywhere now. It's not on the margins. It's celebrated. I mean, Ryan Middle School, that all five of my children just, you know, finished our last one, just got out of Ryan Middle School, um, just got a lot of flack because on their website, they had all these links to these gay sites and it told about how to do different things. And, and, um, and so this article comes out on what's called the Alaska Watchmen. And the next day, Ryan Middle School scrubbed it. But this is And it's stunning, the normalization of this the celebration of it, that's where we are now. We have events around the country, I believe it's at Anchorage, I don't think it's happened here, but like Drag Queen Story Hour in the public library. Because the idea is that an individual making this kind of choice would be a good role model for small children. Let's bring them in and make sure they get good exposure to small children. And so we need to understand that This too is a detour off of holiness and it's in opposition, despite what they're being sold, to having a life that is abundant, where you thrive and where you flourish. So these damaging detours. How does the church respond to this brokenness? Now, I want to be really clear here. I, I think, I mean, we're all sinners. We're all broken in different ways. This may not be your list. And your list might be, or my list might be pride or, you know, something else. I don't know, who knows, deceit or whatever. But we're all sinners somewhere. We're all in that club. There's different, you know, answers that got us there, different actions that put us in that. But how does the church respond to this brokenness that happens? You know, the person gets a a venereal disease because of fornication. The person has had an abortion because of, of that. The person you know, um, is, is hurting and filled with resentment because of the divorce they went to. Maybe it's the divorce they didn't even want. They were against it. And we just look at this and we find deep brokenness. Well, how do we respond? Well, the church, the, the main thing we give people is Jesus Christ. But there's four seeds. C- how that comes out. Um, we give the person of Jesus Christ. And all the grace that that entails and the truth. The first C is conviction. Um, you know, go like, okay, LGBTQ. Go read Romans 1. This is sinful behavior. We give convictions, we make clear what is in bounds, what is out of bounds. Now, we're going to take hits from this, understand this. I've gone to, um, you know, a lot of events. We used to watch the basketball team up at the University of Alaska. And, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you've noticed this. Nobody cheers for the referee. Right? You know, you cheer for this team, you cheer for that team, but nobody cheers for the referee. In a sense, the people of God are the referees. Now, I don't think we need to walk around and be all about rules and all this. And I, you know, I I get it. If a person's not a Christian, why would they follow the rules of God? You know, the the first thing is to point somebody to Christ. But people don't necessarily appreciate this. But somebody has to look them in the eye and say, you know what? This behavior is going to lead to less than. It's going to lead to a life that's not what you're hoping for. For instance, in the transgender world, we're now seeing people switching back. They transition. It wasn't the magic pill they thought it was going to be, and they're switching back. But there's been intense, particularly if there were surgery or hormones they took, damage that's done. Convictions. We offer conviction in the midst of brokenness. This is probably the least appreciated gift that we give. We also offer compassion. Compassion. Listen for someone's pain. Try to understand it. Try to put yourself in their place. Try to get it. Compassion matters. I, we see this in, in God. We see in the Old Testament, we have Gomer, who's this adulterous woman And Hosea the prophet was told to marry her. You know, God says, "Go marry Gomer, the this adulterous woman," and uh, which I'm just like, really? Her name had to be Gomer, you know, on top of being adulterous. I mean, this is just, this is not, this is not a great marriage choice. But God told him to do it. And then the book is about this incredible, relentless love of God, and Hosea is to walk this out. God is so gracious. He's so compassionate. He will come to you wherever you are, whatever mess you've made, whatever brokenness. I mean, you may have just blown your life up and Christ will step into it and give you a hug. He will. And as the body of Christ, we're called to that. Jesus with the Samaritan woman, she was an outcast. Husband after husband. Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, and they circle up the self-righteous Pharisees, and they're like, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. They let the guy go, because they said they caught in the act of adultery, but they only brought her. And they put him in this spot where if Jesus says, kill her, then the Jews didn't have the right to do that, so he'd be in trouble with Rome. This is what they're trying to do, is catch him in a catch-22. If he says, don't, well, under the law of Moses, she was supposed to be killed. And so, oh, your anti- and Moses, you're not following, you know, not following that. And I love it. Jesus writes on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote on the ground. You know, there's lots of fun speculation. Like, did he write the sins of all the guys in the, in the circle? I don't know. Bob, lust, you know, John, whatever. It goes around. I don't know what he wrote in the ground. But he writes in the ground. He gets up and he says, hey, you know, whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone. And the sound of grace in that moment is man after man dropping their stone. And so we offer compassion. And so if somebody sins differently than you, somebody walks a path that you don't even get, still offer compassion. They may not like what you say, they may not like the conviction you're offering, but offer compassion. Care about the person. God's kindness leads to recovery. Dan Cathy, the uh, CEO of Chick-fil-A, that, that um, God's restaurant, I'm kidding. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But it's a Christian-owned company. And he dared to say that, you know, marriage was a man and a woman for a lifetime, you know, dared to share the Christian view. And so Chick-fil-A, you know, there's this there's this whole protest against them, and this guy led it, Shane Windemeyer, And I appreciate this executive of Chick-fil-A. So you know, he just reached out to the guy, um, tried to befriend him, and they never saw eye-to-eye on this. But he built a bridge instead of a wall. And I think we're all called to do that. I think of David Bennett in his book, A War of Loves, He was a a gay activist. And he was actually confronting a... and, And she offered to pray for him. And he said, I don't know why I said yes, but she prayed for him. And the Holy Spirit just did something. And he had an encounter with God. And it started him on a path. And he was transformed... And he gives credit to his aunt, Helen, who prayed for him for many years, I think 11 years, he said, and this friend that built a bridge instead of a wall. And so we offer conviction, but we also offer compassion. We also offer community. Be as hospitable and humble as we possibly can. Remember, every one of us has sinned in some way, shape, or form. And I think of Rosera Butterfield, And she was a lesbian writer, and she wrote an attack piece on Promise Keepers, an evangelical organization. And this Presbyterian minister wrote her a letter. He said, you know, love to just have you over for dinner. And she said, well, I think this will be interesting. And she went. And she struck up a friendship with this Presbyterian minister and his wife and and the family. And as time went on, she said, you know, it just, it started to make sense to me. And she said, literally, there came a morning where I rolled out of bed with my lesbian lover, and I went to his church, and I made a decision to follow Christ, and I left the lifestyle, and I'm a new person today. And so we see the power of community coming alongside people. It matters. It it helps that is trying to walk out single, because it can be lonely. It can be difficult. And so we want to walk in community. We offer ultimately conversion. Christ himself, who can change our lives, who can make us new people, who can help us. I was reading about a guy who was just walking such a mess. He was a drug dealer. And he said in in a trash can in jail, he found a Gideon Bible. And he began to read that Bible. And he said, it changed me. And eventually he made a decision for Christ and now he's a Christian leader. And so the church comes alongside people in brokenness. Because we're broken too, all of us, in one way or another. So then how do we respond? How do we get back on the road? Repentance is kind of our piece. Repentance matters. Repentance is making that U-turn. It's that change of mind that leads to a change in action. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, at the very beginning of the church, Peter has told them, you killed your own Messiah, and they're like, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I realize repentance or repent is an old Bible word. It's probably not a word you use this week. But it's a good word. And it's a beautiful concept. I don't care how far down the detour you are, you can take a U-turn. You can do it. That's your part. And we could have written the word redemption repentance and redemption, God does his part. He meets us and offers us that grace. First Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11, I love this passage. It has bad news and then good news. Don't drown in the bad news, we'll get to the good news. It says this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, of God. Now that's not a refrigerator verse. Nobody laminates that. But then it turns. It's a beautiful thing. You were what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. That's what some of you were. You can be new. You can be different you can leave this detour and do a U-turn of repentance and get back on the holy way and it will walk you into the abundant life a life where you flourish where you thrive in wholeness and health and healing so what's the big idea this morning i'm going to bless steal it from the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel. He simply says, repent and live. Repent and live. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for each person here. Lord, I pray that your spirit would comfort us and encourage us. Lord, somebody may have been looking at porn last night. Help them take the first step out. Lord, somebody's marriage may be hanging on by a thread. Lord, help them to see the other person, to walk in selflessness, not selfishness, and hang in there one more day. Look for a way to sow into that person and serve that person that they committed to. Lord, many of us are standing right in the middle of a detour. Convict us and call us to repent because we want to live. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.